I love the Word of God. I love its truths. I love what it has to say. I love the decree. If you would, please, if you'll take your Bible, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament this morning. To 2 Kings chapter 2. To 2 Kings chapter 2. And as you're turning there, every responsible parent here has made something that's probably important. It's called a will. The will consists of that which you want to pass on to what? The next generation. It reflects the accumulation of goods and resources that have been attained during your lifetime. Maybe for some of you, you have houses and you have cars. And for some of you, maybe you have million-dollar bank accounts. You have created a material legacy. But the question that I want to rise today through the life of Elijah is what kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving behind? How much of God are you transferring? So today's message title is, what kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving behind? I think many of us, we work really hard at at trying to leave something for our family. I think it's, I mean, if you have this on the back of your car, I don't know what I think about it, but it says I'm spending my children's inheritance. But I will ask you this more important question. Are you leaving a spiritual legacy for your children to follow? Are you leaving a legacy that they will look at your life and they will value your life and say he was a godly man, she was a godly woman? They loved the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul and with all their might. I know that in times there's discouragement and things happen in your life and you know, you, you get down and for some of us, you know, we've sh- some of us have uh, shook their fist towards God and they're angry at God. And yet, you have to understand that God's not intimidated with your feelings. He already knows, he experiences what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. And it's important to understand, too, that, you know what, God is there, but don't lose sight of who you are spiritually. Live your life out for Christ and say, listen, we can all find some sort of criticism with somebody, somehow, somewhere, right? Even in our own families. So, therefore, I think we came to a place when we look in the life of Elijah and Elisha that we find a wonderful prophet, a godly man who then passes on a wonderful spiritual legacy for those to follow. So let's read in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll be reading the chapter. And here's what it says. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went to, with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, 
stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So he answered, yes, I know. Keep silent. And Elijah said to him, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. We're in verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now here we see that it says, now Elijah took his mantle. Elijah took his mantle and it says he rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elijah, Ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. Elijah said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, if you, don't, if you have your Bible, if you have uh, maybe your iPhone or any type of iPad, you're more than welcome to highlight that. Go ahead and circle that too, double portion. I think that's something important. That'll be a little bit of our focus here today. So just take your pen, highlight or whatever, and you can put on there uh, double portion. So let's continue. In verse 10, so he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it. And he cried out, my father, my father. Now, interesting here because it's so personal. Now, I found this interesting as I was diving into the word, just that the, the personal father, dad type of role model. Remember, we're talking about leaving a spiritual legacy. Let's continue. The chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He also took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He then took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? When he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elijah. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master. Thus perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them. Therefore, they sent 50 men and they searched for three days, but did not find him. So when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Then the men of the city said to Elijah, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed of this day, according to the word of Elisha. 
which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up the road, some youths came from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now stop for just a minute. So we start to see Elijah ascends. And now we start to see that anybody that has a bald head, it's a source of mourning, a source of grieving. So they're, they're identifying with him. And yet, we, you know, I think it's interesting that it's not just said once, it's said twice. So now they're mocking him. It's hard sometimes to, to live a life of a mature spiritual Christian when you feel mocked by the world. Amen. When people are always after you and they're after to get you. And you think that you've got people that love you and are there to support you. But unfortunately, sometimes the very people that we think are there to support us have discouraged us from really walking in the ways of the Lord. But I'm thankful that we could take up the cross of Christ and we can follow Jesus. Amen. On to 24. So he turned around and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. Bizarre, huh? Then he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. The end. I'm not going to talk about the bear that mauled the youth, right? But I'm sure you've all been in the same place. This isn't in my notes, and I might be going down a rabbit hole because you guys know how I am. But I'm just saying I'm sure that some of you wished that those people that have persecuted you and pointed their finger towards you or put you down, you wished a bear would maul them, right? Unfortunately, that's our flesh and that's what we do. But today, that's not going to be our focus because I want our focus to truly be, you know, what type of legacy are we leaving? God never meant his program to stop because there was no legacy to carry it on. All through the scriptures, plan and program in the, in the world would be carried on through him being transferred from one generation to another. And here's what it says in Psalm 71:18. You can follow with me up here. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. It actually says that the power of God is to be transformed from what? From generation to generation. If there is little or no God left behind... But this is not only true within your nuclear family, it's true in God's spiritual family. That the reason why God wants you associated in a spiritual environment is so that a spiritual legacy can be transferred to you and through, and through you for other people. And so we find Elijah getting ready to pass off the scene His time is gone. It is time for him to go into the presence of God. That means it's time for him to make a what? A transfer of a spiritual heritage that the plan and prophetic program of God might continue even after he is gone. It's a great problem when a leader leaves and there's nothing left behind. That's poor leadership. Because the whole idea is to carry on a spiritual legacy, a legacy that makes a big deal about a great God. I've said to people before, think about it, we were on a deck, we went to the YMCA, we went to the Court Cultural Center, we ended up at Riverside Drive, and here we are at 226 Southeast Avenue. And the gray-haired old man that will preach the word, they will someday put his picture in the foyer, 
And the little dude will walk by and wonder who he is. But he'll never ask who Jesus is. Because the whole idea for me as a pastor of 17 years since I started the church is what kind of spiritual legacy can we leave? What can I do to impact people? What can we do so that our children will experience Jesus in a personal way? That should be every one of our desires as a community of believers. What can we do to impact other people for Christ? Listen, I saw uh, this week on my sister-in-law's uh, post on Facebook, there were two graves. And it said, rich man, poor man. They both ended up the same, six feet underground naked. I thought that was very profound. Matter of fact, I took a picture of it because I thought it doesn't matter about material things. It doesn't matter about wealth. The only thing people will remember is the love that you demonstrated and the heart that you had for other people. Isn't it great to be able to leave an impact? It is cool for me as a pastor, you know, when I marry people and officiate and, you know, I'm at funerals and people walk up to me, you know, as they have over the last 20 years and they've said to me, Pastor Todd. And I've said to them, because I don't know who they are. It's easy to remember one person, but it's hard to remember thousands of people. You know what I mean? Throughout the years of weddings and funerals. And, and, uh, but I do know this, that I hope that I left an imprint and an impact on their life so that they know who Jesus was. And they know who my name was. Because I often think, you know, you get up and you officiate a, a wedding and they're out the door and don't ever remember. They just want me to sign the license and down the road they go so that they can party and have a great time. But wedding receptions are the same way, right? Nobody ever remembers them. We spend thousands of dollars and, you know, don't even remember what you had. I can't even remember what I ate at the last wedding. I'd have to really think about that. But reality is, but they'll remember how you treated them, how you left that le- legacy of love and spirituality in their life what is it that you've done to make them feel special so i have a question now today and i believe the question is just for you it's also for me and i believe it's to us as a church what is your spiritual legacy what is your spiritual legacy and how much of that supernatural are you leaving behind how much of that super supernatural are you leaving behind? In verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 2, it says, When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Elisha tells Elijah, I want twice as much God as you have. Let a double portion... Of your spirit rest on me. I want twice as much God on me as I saw on you. Wouldn't that be kind of cool though when you think about it? And as we have seen through God's word, there's a whole bunch of God on Elijah. We've all experienced that. So God is just showing off and showing out through this prophet. And here's what Elisha says. Give me two scoops of whatever you have. I want two scoops of God. Wouldn't it be great to just have somebody come up and say, whatever you have, I want. Whatever that feeling is, I, I don't know. I just like the light that radiates around you. For some of us, there's not much light that's peeking through. When you read the life of Elijah in 2 Kings, you will discover he did twice as many miracles, actually, than Elijah did. He asked for a double portion so he asked for something big, but he asked for something big spiritually. 
He does something that we have missed. He requests, or he makes the request for more of God, which means he made the spiritual more important than he did the material. Elisha says, I want a double portion. I want twice as much God as you have, twice as much of the spiritual, twice as much of the supernatural. I want your God just rolling all over me. That's what I want. You ask me what I want, Elijah, and that's what I want. Why don't you this morning look at your neighbor and say, I want twice as much. So Elijah now responds this way. Elijah says in verse 10, here's what he says. You've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. You know the old phrase, what you see is what you get. When I'm taken out of here by God, if you see me go, you'll get the double portion. But when I'm taken out of here by God, if you don't see me go, then you won't get the double portion. You will get what you see. Now, what is he saying to him? What is he saying? God will only give you twice as much of him that was on me if it's clear you're looking at the things spiritually. Now, let's go back this morning. I'm going to go back just for a moment to chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Because that's when they meet. Elisha meets Elijah in 1 Kings 19 and beginning with verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha. Elijah finds Elisha, the son of Shaphat. While he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him... And he with the twelfth, then Elijah passed over him and threw his mantle on him. In other words, Elijah dubbed Elisha as his successor. To put the mantle on was to dub you as the successor. Elisha is with twelve pairs of oxen. Now, we're going to watch what's, how this is going to unfold, all right? Now, if you own twelve pair of oxen, that meant you had a lot of land, which meant you were living pretty large... On the land. So Elisha is living large. He's living the good life. He's living the wealthy life with his family. Elijah comes to Elisha and says, You are the one who's been selected to be my successor in this prophetic ministry. Could you imagine? Wow. When Elisha hears Elijah put the mantle on him of succession, Elisha says, Elijah, these words he says, and here's how it goes. He left the oxen. And in verse 20, we start to see it unfold. And it says, he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? And he said, then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have, what have I done for you? So he returned from following, took the pair of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the uh, implements of the oxen, gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah, ministered to him. 
Could you imagine? Next week, I want you to follow me. You're going to preach, Randy. Did you hear what he said? Oh, boy. You were right on cue. Good job. Just kidding. We practiced that several times. No, we didn't. But, but what would happen if I were to walk up to you and say, oh, you're going to be my successor? What a huge responsibility. But the question is this. Are you willing to follow God to that depth? Are you willing just to be a layperson in the church? Are you just willing to have just a little bit of God, not all of God? Are you willing just to have a little bit of portion instead of a double portion? Are you willing just to have a little bit of the meat and a little bit of the potatoes instead of the meat, potatoes and vegetables, dessert and salad and all the other goodies that come along with the food that you're about to receive? Listen, church. You see, if you're going to get more of God, you've got to kiss something goodbye. If you're going to get more of God, you can't just be carrying on life as usual. See, the reason why we don't get more of God is we don't want to kiss stuff goodbye. We've become so attached. We've become so committed that when God wants to take us to a new spiritual level, we are so embracing where we are, we're not willing to sacrifice that to actually get more. Who would have ever thought, I, I have done so much selling and buying in the past month, it's crazy to me. Campers, RVs, motorhomes, all that kind of stuff. But it's all material. It really is. It's just all, life is material. But it's the legacy that we leave for others that matters the most. What have you sacrificed? What have you given up for God? So what happens? What happens is between the time he put the mantle on him, which was in chapter 19 and verse 19, and then he asks for the time of the double portion in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9. Right in between there, there's actually a gap. And that gap is an experience. It's recorded for us actually in chapter 2. The beginning of chapter 2 of 2 Kings, it says, And it came about when the Lord was about to take up Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven, that Elijah was with Elisha from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elijah, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, I don't know if you actually see what's taking place or what's happening there. He goes and here's what he says, Elijah... To Elisha, here's what he says. Don't go any further with me. I'll go the rest of the way by myself. So Elisha says, you ain't leaving me. I'm going with you. Where you go, I go. You ain't leaving me behind. And Elijah didn't make him stay. It says Elisha was allowed by Elijah to keep going with him because it was never Elijah's intention to actually make him stay. It was a test to see how committed he actually was. See, God will test your commitment. Because he don't just believe what you say. Because anybody can talk that smack. Anybody can say anything they want. Mm-hmm. You know I love the Lord, Pastor. I heard his cry. You know 
He's so wide, you can't get over. He's so high, he's so low. You know, you can talk that he is the rose of Sharon, the balm of Gilead, the bright morning star. You can say whatever you want. But here's what I want to see. I want to see that when you are tested, will you keep going on? Will you keep following me? I want to know, are you committed in your feet? Not just in your words. I want to know that you're committed in your talk and in your lips. He says, stay behind. He says, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes on, the son of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? And he said, yes, I know. Be still. He was aware of it. Verse 4, it says, Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But then he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho and Elijah said, no, no, you're going, I'm going. Okay, because I'm not just in it for the fluff. I'm not just in it for the fancy. I'm not in it for the fancy stuff. I'm in it because I'm totally committed. But now watch, church. It ain't over. It isn't over. Then Elijah says to him in verse 6, Please stay here, for the Lord sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourselves there, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Three times he said, Boy, stay home. Don't go any further. Now in a minute, I'm going to break this all down. Because here's what's going on. It's a test, and God will test your commitment. Do you hear that? God will test your commitment whether when you came forward and accepted Christ or made surrender, whether that was real when you nodded your head, whether that was right when you said amen, whether you were just talking, he will test. Will you go with him and keep going with him even over the various terrains of life? What is the level of your commitment. Now church. In the next few minutes. You're going to have to follow me very very closely. Okay. And then we're going to build right up to the conclusion. Wake up. Sit up. Stand up. Fight fight. I mean, not fight fight fight. Just listen closely. Notice the trek. Here's what's taking place. Watch what takes place with him. And so he, here he's on this trek with him, and here's what he says. And he starts to name some of the cities, but these aren't just cities. This is what I find very cool in the Bible. The New Testament will call this the process he's going through. And this would be called discipleship. This is what we call disciple. What is discipleship? Discipleship is that developmental process that moves people along spiritually. That's true discipleship. So in 1919, it says there that he puts on his mantle. In chapter 2, verse 9, 2 Kings, he asked for a double portion. But in between, he must, he must be developed. And so you have him walking him through these different locations for development. Because every location means something. Remember back in the day when we would go to uh, Judgment House? You had to walk to all these. Loca- How many of you ever went to Judgment House in, in the building? 
It's like everybody went, right? It was like the, the Halloween alternative for every Christian. And then if you weren't saved, you were going to get saved. And if you were saved, you were going to get saved again. And then they didn't believe that you were saved, so you were going to get saved again after that. But it was a trek they were taking you on. So it was fun. I, I used to take the kids there as a youth pastor. And it was fun and it was exciting, but it was a trek that we were on. Now follow me. So here is what's taking place. And so God starts to work all this out. And here's the, the first location. Gilgal. The first place Elijah took Elisha was to Gilgal. What happened in Gilgal? The scripture says in Gilgal, God removed the reproach of Israel, I mean, from Egypt, from Israel. And in Gilgal, God removed the reproach of Israel from Egypt. You see, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they couldn't forget Egypt. They always kept looking back to Egypt. They still loved Egypt, even though God was trying to take them to where? Where was God trying to take them to? To the promised land. So it took them over 40 years to get over Egypt. And as long as they couldn't get over Egypt, they couldn't enter across the Jordan to the what? To the promised land. The reason why some of us are delayed in experiencing God is we still have Egypt on our minds. See, we're still so committed to the world. We're so committed to the secular world that leaves God out that God can't give us more of him because he doesn't want to give us more of him to take it back to the world he just delivered us from. So as long as we're walking with God but looking back at Egypt, God is not going to give you more of God so that you can peek over your shoulder to the world that he delivered you from. Are you with me? So Elijah took Elijah to Gilgal so that he would be taught that you got to leave yesterday behind. That's old news, not going back there. And so he says this, you've got to experience the new God today. And then he took him to Bethel. Now I'm going to do this quickly. So he takes him to Bethel. And in Genesis 28 and Genesis 35, we don't need to go there, but Jacob was in Bethel, and Bethel was where he heard the voice of God. It was where he saw the ladder come down from heaven and the angels going up and down. God spoke to him at Bethel. God changed his name. God gave him a new character. Bethel is where God changes you and reveals himself to you because you're in Bethel, which is called the house of God. In other words, he took him to the place where he could hear God for himself. You see, he first took him to where? To Gilgal. Because he needed to know you'll never hear God as long as you're listening to the world. Isn't that convicting? You'll never hear God as you're listening to the world. But then he took him to Bethel. Because now that you've let the world go, now God is free to talk to you. But now that God is free to talk to you, we're going to take you to another place called where? Jericho. See, back in Gilgal, we left the world behind. Then we moved over to Bethel, where we now hear the voice of God. So now I'm going to take you to Jericho, where God does a miracle. Something starts to take place. But what miracle did he do in Jericho? You know the song, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. 
I was going to do something fun, but for sake of time, I won't march around the room seven times, okay? You'll get dizzy, and I'll get dizzy, okay? But what made the walls of Jericho come tumbling down? Well, here's where God gives kind of a weird type of strategy. He told him to walk around the wall once a day for how many days? For six days. On the seventh day, walk around seven times. And then shout! That was for those that are sleeping. And when you shout, you wake. Okay, just check. The walls are going to come a-tumbling down. Right? So now admit it. That just is, for some of us, you're going, well, that just doesn't make any sense. It don't make no sense to tell me to walk around the wall once a day for six days, and on the seventh day we walk around it seven times, and then we shout. That's a terrible military strategy, wouldn't you say? But you see, if you haven't passed Gilgal because you're looking at the world, if you haven't graduated to Bethel so that you've learned to hear the voice of God, you're not going to do what God says in Jericho when he tells you how to get a miracle, but you've let Gilgal go and you're listening at Bethel, now you're willing to listen in Jericho even when it doesn't make sense. Amen? That was a lot, all in one breath. And when they walked around once a day for six days, walked around seven times on the seventh day, the walls came tumbling down because he obeyed the ridiculous because the ridiculous came from heaven. But he had learned at Bethel to listen to heaven because he turned his back at Gilgal on Egypt. But then after all that, he takes him to Jordan. You know, crossing the Jordan River. That's when it's time for the transfer. That's when it's time to move on. See, some of us here this morning, we're still stuck in Gilgal. We haven't left the world, but we're asking for a double portion. Some of us are stuck in Bethel. We've heard his voice, but we haven't moved on to Jericho. Some of us are stuck at Jericho because what God asked us to do doesn't make sense, and I ain't going to do nothing that doesn't make sense because my mama gave me an education, I have a degree, and I got all that. And that just doesn't make sense. That doesn't fit with my science class or doesn't fit with my biology class. That doesn't fit with my English class. None of it fits. So I ain't walking around no wall seven times and I'm not going to shout. I'm not going to do any of that. None of it makes sense. So here we are. We're stuck and we never get to Jordan where the double portion is actually handed out. So let me say this quickly. 2 Kings chapter 2, after he asked for a double portion, here's what he says in verse 11. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He says, well, I want to see a recording of that one. Elisha saw it and here's what he did. He cried out. Here's what he said. My father. My father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw Elijah no more than he took hold of his own clothes. And what did he do? It says he tore them into pieces. Let me stop there for just a moment. Stay with me. All right. He left and he said, my father, my father. Now, you heard me say it in the beginning. I'm going to say it again. That wasn't his dad. That wasn't his dad at all. He wasn't born a child of Elijah. He was a spiritual father. That was his spiritual dad. And then he concludes, and here's what he says in verse 13. He says he tore his clothes into pieces 
And it says here, he also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah and fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, then he divided here and there, and Elijah crossed over. Oh, no, you didn't. I, I used to say that years ago. Oh, no, you didn't. Okay. Did you just see what happened? Now, I'm giving you a little bit of Old Testament, and you're probably like, okay, I'm a little bit bored, but hopefully you're a little bit excited to find out really this journey that they're on because I believe that God's taken a lot of you people on your own journey. I believe you're on your own trek. I know I've been on a trek now this year. This has been some 2022. Amen? Okay, did you see what happened? Elijah's taken up in a whirlwind. Horses, chariots, those were the warlords of God, the God who fought against idolatry, and his mantle fell. Elijah picks up the mantle of Elijah, and then he hits the Jordan and asked a question. And here's what the question was. Where is the God of Elijah? All right. Did you hear the question? He took the mantle of Elijah... And he struck the water in Jordan. And then he asked the question, where is the God of Elijah? What he is asking is this. Is that man's God here with me right now? Because while Elijah is gone, God is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever. So what I want to know is this. Is that? Man's God still here with me today? Is he still here with us? Is your grandma's God still here with you? Many of, us, many of us have never seen the God of our grandparents. Many of us have never seen or succession ought to let you see that while the person has gone, the God they left behind is still the same today, tomorrow, and forever. So here's the challenge. How much of God do you want? Because he's only going to give you as much of him as you can handle because God is not going to waste God has too much self-respect for that. And I'm going to say this in closing. Listen closely, church, and we'll wind things down. You remember the story of a man? It was about a man who was taking his new bride on, on their honeymoon. They were on their honeymoon, going on their honeymoon, and it was a foggy day out. He had to pass a truck. He didn't see the oncoming van. The oncoming van had hit him. It was a head-on collision. It flipped his car over into the ditch. He was knocked out. A few minutes later, he came to. He saw his bride gushing with blood, bleeding profusely. Later, he came to. He saw what was happening, and he knew she would bleed out and die if he didn't get help soon. But there was no help around. But his fortune would have it. He looked right out of the windshield and there was a sign and here's what it said office of dr bill jones how fortunate could it be that his car was wrecked right there at a doctor's office so he picked up his beloved he went he knocked on the door and the old man came to the door he said mister save her she's dying the old man said to him i'm so sorry i stopped practicing medicine years ago the young man said Mister, you have two choices. You can either save her or take down your sign. 
But don't have a sign that says you can perform something that can change her. But then when we show up, it's just a lot of noise. Nothing can happen when we show up. There's a lot of folks, there's a lot of people in our church today carrying our sign. I'm a Christian. You're carrying a sign that says, I love Jesus. You're carrying a sign that says, He's able. You're carrying a sign, He can fix it. But when the stuff shows up, you can't do anything because all you are is just a sign. God is looking for people, folks who are not just a sign. But who believe in the real thing, who still practice this thing. They talk this thing, walk this thing, act this thing, because we know that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And somebody ought to give him praise because he's worthy and deserves to share in this legacy in this house this morning. Amen. So as we rise to our feet, you want your life's value. An impact to outlast you. You want generational transfer. You and I are not just to live for ourselves. God is a multi-generational God. Remember he said, I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. And even in the Ten Commandments, he talks about things that occurred to what? The third and fourth generation. He talks about what it looks like when a generation forgets God. The psalmist also talks about how we are to transfer the faith from one generation to another. So God is a generational God. That's legacy. That's passing a baton onto the future. Not only going to think about now, you're to think about tomorrow. And that's really what we do with what? With our wills and with our trusts. We pass things on to the future when we are no longer here. Here's reality. Even with my business, even with the church, my job is to teach discipleship and to teach people to continue the legacy of Christ of sacrifice, of hearing the voice of God, of seeing miracles, of walking with God, not just experiencing things, but some of us are still stuck in Gilgal. We keep looking back. We keep thinking the world has so much to offer us in church. It has nothing to offer us. Only Jesus has everything to offer us. So what kind of spiritual legacy are you leaving behind? Can you follow the life of Elijah and Elisha? And I just want to say thank you, Lord. Because today I can see and say I've received a double portion of God's blessings. I'm thankful to be standing on this property. This property is a miracle. It's more than I ever thought or comprehended. And there were many people that said, oh, you would never make it. Wouldn't make it a month. You wouldn't make it six months. You wouldn't make it a year. No, I won't make it. But with the mantle, you can make it. See, it's not us. We have to surrender. Are you surrendered? Are you sold out? Is Jesus your number one? Can you say that in your heart and in your life? Hey, do you wake up in the morning saying, God, I'm yours today. 
I know the plans you have for me. Plans for hope and peace, peace to prosper me, not to harm me. Do you get into the Word? We say our Bible decree. We say it on Sunday morning, but do you live it out every day of your life? Do your kids see you praying? Do your kids see you talking about Christ? Do they see miracles taking place in your life? And if they aren't, today's your day to start. I believe in you. And I know someone who does. And his name is Jesus. Would you trust him today? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that we can trust you. Thank you for the truths of your word. Help us to all be great examples to those that are behind us. Help us to live and to love. Help us to invite people to church. Lord, we know the kind of people we are. We're just sinners saved by grace. But God, we need your strength. Lord, for those that are in the room, maybe there's some here today that need to say, here I am, God, use me. I surrender all all to Jesus. I surrender all to him. I freely give. God, today we give you our life. We give you our heart. God, we ask that you'll use us. Help us to leave an impact and an imprint on those who come behind us. Lord, be with your church. Be with your children. Be with your people this morning. And if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, may they come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In your holy name we pray.